Achievement unlocked. Two players and a podcast now loaded. Back dreamers and flam family this is two peas in a pod brought to you by general andrews and liberty flam and we are sponsored by the 8-bit dojo and esn where we aim to be selfless not selfish also today with us our guest 8-bit d will be joining this is episode 13 of season 4 controversial versus communication <laughs> hey flibbity flam my man general andrews my dude it's good to hear your lovely voice again why thank you and likewise it's really good to get back from vacation and you know what what's so nice about coming back from this vacation and spend this time with you we are also graced with the excellent presence of our guest 8-bit d how are you doing d hi what's going on i'm doing well how are you i am doing awesome thank you so much Ras. i feel kind of refreshed and ready to take on this next week of just overall content creation but most importantly to tackle today's topic which is a two-parter so we're going to be talking about final fantasy games so for any of you jrpg nerds out there yes let's rejoice and for those that like to get educated on different other topics that might affect people that you know or have yet to know we'll also tackle the topic of lupus as well so stay tuned for that at the end of this all right well in regards to final fantasy uh what are we tackling today we're tackling the favorites of ourselves not that they're we're not arguing that it's better than yours or better than this person's or ranking them like oh yeah this great scale it's just more so talking about personal experiences and why they are so meaningful to us so we're going to kind of warm it up a little bit before we jump into like the nitty-gritty and let's talk about a little bit of honorable mentions so i'm going to go with myself first here because you know me I love talking and folks always this podcast has no other people except myself just talking like crazy no just kidding anyways so my honorable mentions actually Final Fantasy 4 I grew up with as Final Fantasy 2 and one of the moments in Final Fantasy 4 that really spoke to me was when Palm and Porum protect everyone by turning to stone god that's so sad <sighs> As a kid, it was good emotional trauma, but it was, <laughs> it was just, like, I, I knew I had feelings, right? When that happened, I knew I had feelings, right? I, I was a real person, you know, like it was real to me. And yet like we accomplished the thing, but I didn't really want to keep playing the game for a little bit, but I just, <laughs> we just leveled up. They got their special ability. Like, are you kidding me? Oh my God. That was, <laughs> it was so immense to me you know and the music let me tell you folks this is why i love Final fantasy titles so often the music plays so well not just like your overworld obviously that's really great not just the battles or the victories of battle also really great but when it comes to very emotional or hopefully parts of the story plot that are supposed to be building upon one another actually add to it and that happened in that moment and i was just like i, I can just picture that scene right there i'm like what happened <laughs> Oh, I'm just thinking of little, just little you sitting there, like, shocked looking at the screen, you know. Why aren't they moving? Yeah, like, just move, please. I have a lot of soft spells. Use them. Use soft. Use, use a potion. Something. Somebody. And I, I even remember coming back later at different points, hoping like, okay, well, now maybe my characters are stronger. You know, Cecil's gone from a uh, dark knight into a paladin. So now let's, let's, let's do this thing. Let's make sure everyone's good. No, no, all of that didn't matter. Didn't matter how powerful it was. 
right. Well, th- there was my awesomely emotionally traumatic experience, <laughs> yeah. but it did not deter me. There's been other situations, other games where I'm like, oh, I'm not touching that ever again. That one actually made this game stick with me because I'm like, wow, they did a really good job of attracting a youth emotional uh, resonance within a game. And I thought that was a really cool aspect. All right, uh, Flippy Flam, what about you, my man? Oh, second favorite, <laughs> right? Yeah, second favorite. A little honorable mention, maybe like a moment or a couple of moments. I just knew that one for me was like, whoa. The sigh just I, got I know. me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do work now? What the hell? Right? Oh, you're going to make me talk? I'm, I'm <laughs> the two Ps in a podcast, me being the second P? Oh, man. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm just sighing because it's such a popular one, and I'm glad I put it as second, but Final Fantasy VII is probably oh, an mention okay. for me. I didn't actually play that until recently. Oh, really? Like a few so was, years ago. Was the remake the first time you played it? Or? No, I played the original still. Oh, okay. Well, like okay, the, cool. the Steam version or whatever. And I, I liked it, but there are definitely problems with it. And still, like, the whole Aerith dying, that was, like, tra- trauma, right? Let's just go okay, with the trauma so of it. I love that. That's our theme right now. I love that they did that to like a main character. It's the the George R. R. Martin approach, right? Take somebody that you really, really like and just kill them off. Just get them out of there. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely resonate with what you're talking about because it's also why I'm a big fan of anime is that no character is safe. Yes, yeah. exactly. Which gives them a relatable feeling because I remember watching cartoons. We've talked about this before growing up. You start to get used to, oh, I can tell it's already the last three minutes of the episode. How are they going to get away this time? Yeah. I think it's interesting with Seven, too, because the permanence of that death. A lot mm-hmm. of us came into Seven having played the other Final Fantasies who we were like, oh, they'll come back. She'll come back. Right, right. And, you know, as you're getting to the end, and um, I remember the first time I got to that final boss fight, I was like, wait, she's never, she's gonna, she's not coming back? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? No, the pain. Nobody got a phoenix what? down? Oh, that's a permanent thing. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that's a good moment to bring up, though. And then, unless there's more to elaborate on that, Flippity Flam. No, that's all I ever want to talk about with Seven. Okay, you got it. <laughs> well, then... <laughs> let's pass the torch on over to one of our final fantasy uh, is an expert a, a professor what oh kind of God. title would you like i mean because you're pretty invested into the final fantasy universe Very is that fair to i mean i think it's fair to say okay. i my i i've played every single mainline spinoff sequel prequel uh, like offshoot mobile game <laughs> i i'm missing uh a few on the list the 15 pocket edition and like some japanese mobile games that i cannot get my hands on from like early days but i'm still trying i'm still out here so yeah i have like a pretty um lifelong very intense relationship with this series and you know i don't just play them i like dive into the how they were made why was this decision i can't just sit back and play it and be like i'm done i have to then do like a deep dive so it's 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 my life's work (laughs) i don't know i love it it's hard you're sitting here asking me to play favorites and like that's really really difficult mm-hmm. um it, it's just so funny to me because you're like i'm scared to put seven second and i'm like it doesn't even crack my top five but <laughs> that's a whole other discussion um but my honorable mention for number two is actually going to be the same first mention which is final fantasy four oh. or as we had it in the states is final fantasy two yeah. that is still to date my favorite box art of any of these games like i have it on display i love looking at it but my moment is different i okay. i do love the palm and porum i think that's 
beautiful. I got really emotional. I just replayed the Pixel remaster recently and did like get teary eyed at that moment, <laughs> even though it. I knew it was coming. I feel it. <laughs> you know, I mean, do I cry over Final Fantasy regardless? Yeah, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, so for me, it's actually the game's opener. The best thing about these games, especially, you know, Hironobu Sakaguchi's games, right? One through nine. He really understood like the value of a hook. We lose that a little bit like later down the line, but and I think the best starting hook and intro is to me is fours because you're on this ship and you're just starting the game and you're like, I'm ready to be a hero because you know, Final Fantasy, Heroes of Light, we're doing it. And instead you bust into this like temple and you you kill a bunch of people in Mysidia and you steal their crystal. Yeah. And everyone around you is like, oh, I don't feel very good about this. And you're just like, no, we're following orders. We're doing it. That's very heavy. And I remember sitting there and, and immediately, even as a kid, being like, am I the bad guy? <laughs> and it's just this interesting. And I think it sets the tone for that whole game, right? Because you're really going through, you know, this journey of your protagonist going from the dark night to a paladin and kind of going through that, like standing up for yourself, standing up for what's right, what you believe in your moral compass and like not following the status quo and it's i don't know i just think the tone of that is so interesting it's an interesting choice we didn't have a lot of that back in the like we, the snes era is when we started to get really good dynamic storytelling in video games but i think that okay. was an approach to it that was different and i just it it sticks with me to this day that song the red wings is it's i can't not hear that just get pumped up <laughs> <laughs> yes yes so good my goodness. What a, what a great thing to actually talk about is the the hook aspect of it, because the more and more I think about it when it comes to the Final Fantasy games, like you were talking about one through nine was the aspect of you weren't just a little bit of the stories being kind of like force fed to you like instantaneously through that, let's say, a, a playable cutscene, at least back then, as far as those graphics and everything we're working with. It, it's such a exciting aspect. That I feel got lost over time because they had so many other things that they could do or they can make long extended cutscenes that you're almost, you know, spending two, three, four minutes watching a movie, so to speak, uh, yeah. before you're able to go on to your next part of the game. Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. I, I really love the dive in on the, the Final Fantasy four two uh aspect but uh now let's 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 really because as you can tell folks we've got a lore historian for final <laughs> fantasy right so we gotta we gotta let her keep going here now i really want to hear then what your favorite final fantasy is because uh, i'm really excited to hear what takes up that that next notch normally i would say it's super challenging to pick but for me it's really not and it's actually i i feel validated okay in my opinion on this because here in Sakaguchi, the creator of the series. This is also his favorite game. Uh, it is go. Final Fantasy IX. Oh. Uh, and right. I, I could do a whole separate, we could have a whole separate hour-long conversation about why I love that game. But to, to, to sum it up. Hey, take your time. Uh, <laughs> we'll be here for the next five hours, get a coffee. No, it's, 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 he made that game to, you without diving into way too much history, we saw what happened with Final Fantasy VII, right? Like, the, these games took over the world. And a whole new audience got exposed to the series, and it's, you know, 10 million copies is nothing to scoff at, and... Mm -hmm. and and whatnot. So with Final Fantasy VIII, you know, Hironobu Sakaguchi was like very distracted and working on other projects because of all this new success and was able to work on a feature film, which I don't know if anyone even remembers Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, but yes, that's what's 
Gucci was focusing on. So eight was kind of left like as a, he was like, oh, I'm busy. Like I'm working on a movie. You all handle it. Do what you want. And then when he saw what eight was hap- was becoming with eight, he was like, mm, that's not really my direction, but like have fun. And I love Final Fantasy eight, so I'm not bashing it, but it was just wasn't classic FF. You know, they were taking a lot of risk and doing different things. And Sakaguchi was like, we need to go back to the, like the, what made the series a series. And we need to like, I want to go back to the real old fashioned Final Fantasy times. Like he saw the series was moving in a very modern direction, a realism direction. And he did want to bring it back to the crystals and, and airships and knights. And he wanted to go back there because that's what he felt built the series. He had his own separate team. He went out in Hawaii and just they made this game. And Yoshitaka Amano was designing characters again. It felt like classic FF. And it really, truly, when I play it, it just brings me back to childhood. And that feeling I had when I first played Final Fantasy Four, which was my first, you know, going back and playing one through two. It just has that same feeling of the original games, but it's obviously beautiful. There's gorgeous cutscenes and the characters all kind of have their own individual stories. And I really, I don't know if it was just the time or whatnot, you know, a lot of these feelings are always influenced by where we were at the time, right? When we first played mm-hmm. them. Uh, and I was really identified so much with the character Vivi and his whole journey about, you know, who it's such a, it's, everyone I feel like can relate to Vivi at some point, oh, but his whole journey yeah. is like, who am I? What is my purpose? Right. As human beings, we can relate to that. Like, what is the mm-hmm. purpose of life? And that's kind of his whole story arc. I don't know everything about it. I, the music, I think it's Nubu Matsu's. It's my favorite. It's not, I understand it's not his quote unquote best work, but it's my favorite of his works. It, I feel like the music sets the tone so well. It's, I can hear it and go, oh my gosh, it's Final Fantasy. Visually, right where I like to be, the color palette is what makes me feel warm and cozy and like I'm really truly playing a Final Fantasy game. And it's not perfect. There are things I don't like about it. But for me, it's like the combat system. Great. There's not I don't have a lot of complaints about nine. And I think it does to me represent the series best. Although I would never recommend someone play it first. I feel like you should play it after you enjoy the earlier games. So you could see all the tributes because they tie back to and this is actually one of my favorite moments in nine. They tie back to the Palom and Porum moment. <laughs> early yeah. in game there's so many nods to other moments in the series and that's why nine is so great they we have a friend right we make a friend he's in our party when we start out um our buddy blank you know and then he's running through the forest with us and he gets turned to stone and <laughs> we're like oh yeah we have to save him and it's like yeah okay that worked in final fantasy 4 but what if it doesn't work in this one what if it's like seven and they don't come back and you start to like wonder but it's a nice little nod to to uh that it's not maybe my favorite moment in the entire game, but it is one of my favorites because it shows how they are paying tribute to what came before it. It's really, really neat. Oh, this, this is obviously so exciting to hear this breakdown of Final Fantasy IX in a mm-hmm. summarized version. But I wouldn't mind diving just a little bit more on it. So obviously talking about your favorite character is as in a good character that you play as. Did you also have a favorite villain? Ooh, across all Final Fantasy or are we just talking nine? Just the Final Fantasy IX right now. All right. I mean, it is probably Nine's weak point, I would think, is that, you know, there's a lot of the, the whole the whole villain situation gets a little convoluted. I know a lot of people don't like Kuja. I like Kuja a lot. I love that Kuja shows up and basically tells you what 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 Kuja's about right away. <laughs> Kuja's yeah. like, I'm here. I'm doing bad things. Like, I am not your friend. And has a great theme. Like, Kuja's music, when that hits you know it's the baddie. And a lot of other like Final Fantasies do this thing where like, oh, are they the bad one? Like it's trying to subvert and like surprise, you know, like 
you thought, but it's actually so-and-so disguised as them. Nine doesn't do that. Kuja's just like, I'm here. I'm the bad guy. What's up? You know, and visually, I don't hate Kuja's look. I know some people, it's not their favorite. I'm, I'm liking I'm liking Kuja's outfit. I like Kuja's look and his outfit. He looks yeah. kind of he looks mysterious, but he just comes right out and says, "I'm I'm not I'm not doing good things here." Which and I think I like is actually that. cool, right? Is yeah. what you just said is that the fact that like he looks mysterious, but at the same time, like no, no, this is what I am. It's like wait, yeah. what? Now I have to really question you because you look mysterious, but you told me what you are. Are you just playing head games with me? What's happening yeah. here? <laughs> it's very refreshing coming from the game before it coming from eight where you're the whole game you're like who's the bad person because it throws you around <laughs> oh my so god much. that's a good point because I, I enjoyed final fantasy eight but i would agree it definitely felt like you kept on ending up in like a tornado and the tornado would throw you around a little bit and it's like yeah i'm still in final fantasy world so i'm okay but where the hell am i yeah so that, that's awesome I, I really like that take on final fantasy nine because i really enjoy final fantasy nine so i always find it odd when people are bashing final fantasy nine not oh hey i have a critique but where they you know they, they downright don't like it at all i'm like eh, you know i you know i think that's unfair for a title like that uh similarly for final fantasy 8 there was things that i liked about it even like which i was, was so cool to hear you actually explain because i did not know that because he was working on the movie that's why he had so much his eggs were in that basket not yeah. in the Final Fantasy 8 one, which now makes a little bit more sense where it was a little more convoluted than what you would expect from each Final Fantasy that had came up before that. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole deep dive one day into 8 and why it's the way that it is. And I love that game, so it's it's fun to try. I've changed a lot of minds about that game over time because I don't think people understand what its development was like. Yeah, I think, was, I think yeah. that would be a really fun topic to jump into Agreed. in the future. Yeah. It, it needs its own big amount of time. <laughs> yes, that's fair. Totally fair. All right. All right. Flibbity Flam. Are you ready? I mean, D, D just went ham on so, Final Fantasy IX. Are you ready for the nine. next one? Here's my one, yeah, my one sentence synopsis on my favorite. No. My favorite one that I liked the most, and it was the first Final Fantasy that I ever played. I had never had a PS2 before until I got to college. Finally got a PS2, and I got Final Fantasy X. <sighs> And I love Final Fantasy X. I love... The, the biggest part that I like about it is Seymour, the villain. Because okay, you okay. you love to hate him. And they do that thing where, you know, he's very convoluted. Oh, is he a bad guy? I mean, he looks really bad, but you fight yeah, with him. Is. Right? <laughs> he's, he's, he's like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> the whole turn of it is just like, what? And then, oh man, he makes you hate him so much. And I love that about Final Fantasy X. I love the story throughout how it's all just basically a dream and oh man and i speed ran that game too i was just gonna bring that up i was all like Ooh. wow you you love seymour from the casual aspect but when it came to the speed oh, run no. i'm pretty sure you don't like seymour at all because the speed run. no the speed run <laughs> is worse because it's six hours in and it's your first like wall that can actually lose you the run <laughs> Oh, what a, what a boss villain, you know? How, how dare they? He's got great I, hair, too. Of all the Final Fantasies to speedrun. I know. That, that you're brave. <laughs> it's so I mean, long, none of them are huh? easy speedruns. No. I don't fail. But that one. It's a marathon. Like I, It is. It's like he, putting on a I movie for chat. It. 
like what 10 hours just under 10 hours it's like somewhere just around under there 10 yeah oh my gosh that's and that's that's actually you know the game's got like 30 40 50 hours 60 hours of content you know what i mean versus yeah. you're you're beating it in less than 10 hours it's like what mind broken yeah and a good three to four hours of that is quite literally just cutscenes. there's a lot in that game yeah i mean they're beautiful cutscenes, though they are very pretty that is another thing i'll say to 10 I, I it's you know i understand why so many people love it gorgeous to look at it's i just finished it actually i was just playing through it recently and it is i it is visually stunning it is it is I never forget those cutscenes. Like they stick with you. My favorite part of Final Fantasy X. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people already know this, but it's it's Blitzball. Yeah. Can, oh can I get more Blitzball? That should have been its own like game. I was so addicted to Blitzball. I I, I, st- I literally when I was playing Final Fantasy X, I was on disc one and I stayed on disc one for like 25 or 30 hours with like. 28 of those hours being dedicated to Blitzball. I was like the Blitzballer, you know? I was like, how can I, okay, how many points can I score by halftime? Oh, I can get up 10 nothing at halftime? Let's go. How many goals can I score in a total game? 14 nothing? Let's go. Oh, I was so addicted to that game. And so. the next section of the podcast is favorite mini games. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know a lot of people are anti Blitzball, but I'm like, why? It was so, it was oh, so I'm... simple. The music was so, like, it was so, you could just be subdued and relaxed while playing it, you know? I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that game for as simplistic as it was. I'll speak on the behalf of the anti Blitzball crowd. Oh, no! I, I no. will second that motion on the anti Blitzball. <laughs> you know, we, we, you go from like triple triad. And all these great card games to like suddenly it's like sports ball and i'm just like i don't i can't do it i can't i'm i just can't i just i was like I you're not scene, you know like being an, an a former athlete you know someone who's into fitness i was like yes i also play rpgs thank you for recognizing me i mean i'm glad it was there and i'm glad people love it i just <laughs> see i'm mad because blitzball turned me off to like mini games in final fantasy (laughs) so i i never like played triple triad or anything like that and i feel like i missed out on it because blitzball just hurt me triple triad is so good that they included it in final fantasy 14 so you can play it in the mmo as well that's how loved it is i don't see any blitzball in final fantasy 14 i'm just whoa 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 whoa. (laughs) Now, is Triple Triad the one from 8, or is that the one from 9? Triple Triad is the one from 8. Chat okay, to a yes. Master is the one from 9, and that is a disappointment. Oh, uh, okay, yes. Okay. They, like, tried to do something similar. They were like, oh, people really like that card game. But mm-hmm. it just, it, it was way more, like, RNG-based. It was less control, and it was just, it just was not. Yeah, I, I love Triple Triad. Final Fantasy VIII's card game. Like, that's one of the things I love to turn to be like, but did, did you play the mini game? Like, the mini game on that was amazing. And I, I did feel let down on Final Fantasy IX beca- only because Final Fantasy VIII's one was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it would be hard to follow that one. Triple Triad was so popular. I, I don't, it, it's a tough act to follow. I, I would think, I would imagine, regardless, like they would, they should have just done something completely different, not a card game. I think. And, <laughs> oh, they did. Blitzball. Yeah, nine does. <laughs> nine does have a chocobo hot and cold, which is really like a fun little mini game. But Blitzball is just so. <laughs> Ten gives us a lot of mini games that are frustrating. You know, jumping, dodging lightning. There's a lot in there that's oh, like the I chocobo don't know. race. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that's pretty painful and and 
in 10, but that's not even my, my biggest complaint about that game. But yeah, the mini games are pretty, pretty painful. <laughs> so now you talked about your favorite character, which happened to be a villain in Final Fantasy 10. Did you have a favorite good guy or good gal character? Yes. And it is, it's hands down. It's got to be Waka. Oh, why is that? Wow. Because of how his, his whole character development through the whole of his story being a super religious nut at the very beginning, going through and questioning his own faith, having to kill the god that he worshipped. I thought that was just really, really well done. I like it. Okay, so to see the growth in a character. Yeah. Be it for good or bad or whatever, but just to see that there it wasn't just, I'm, I'm stagnant, I'm staying my in my lane, and that's just how I'm going to be. It wasn't, yeah. I thought that just was a really, really cool thing to do. Plus, I love the voice actor for that guy, too. <laughs> he did do good. I, I, I agree on that. Yeah, oh. yeah, he has the most growth in that game overall, I would think, just thinking of all those characters. He really does have a really nice character arc, Waka. Mm -hmm. I do concur, because when I really think about everyone else's character arc, I do feel like they, for the most part, not 100%, but they stay in their lane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they, they fit their role, they do that, maybe they do it well, maybe they don't, but that's what they do versus how walk actually you're like wow I, I see some of these things change versus kind of blindly following his you know original path right which is hey this is my god let's worship 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 100 100%, 100% versus hmm now i don't know now i'm down to 69 percent. let me consider things you know uh mm -hmm. things of that nature all right <laughs> is everyone ready for my favorite one yeah i'm ready i'm wait i'm waiting i'm on the edge of my seat okay don't fall all right because here we go so you know how nine's your favorite all yeah. we're gonna do now is we're gonna turn the nine upside down and final fantasy six is my favorite again it was final fantasy a three when i got to play in the uh, states and so for me my original one i ever played was final fantasy one then two then three and so i already had kind of like this build into this uh realizing that none of the storylines actually link into each other all right well with that being said my favorite aspect of final fantasy 6 was that they started doing the multiple storylines within a storyline that you could play as not just be told about but you could actually play those out and to me again at this young age and which why it's so nostalgic for me it's like ooh, i get to choose my own path and you thought that like it really really mattered which one you did first and there's there's some slight reasons why you might do one before the other because one's much easier to do than the other ones uh, and things of that nature but it didn't matter like as long as you did them you were going to progress the overall story arc and to me that was really fascinating again kind of like how Phobia fan was talking about a villain being what kind of like yeah this resonates for myself it was the same thing with uh, kafka which i used to call being a kid i i i would <laughs> i would make it my own pronunciations of names so i used to call him kafiki <laughs> And, and, and you look at the you look at the letters and that's not at all how it looks but not like in my close. head i was like that's kafiki all right awesome right. you know but eventually as time went on and i started to get you know people outside of my circle it's like oh it's kefka i'm like oh okay all right I, i'm going to learn to make sure to start saying that all the time because i want to fall right back into my little childhood moment and be like kafiki i hate you but i love you because you're so crazy but i hate you because you're the bad guy to me what i enjoy about because a lot of people are like oh the, the joker that's basically what he is is most people's argument for why it's like eh, it's not that exciting of a uh, enemy but that's actually why i enjoy the aspect because i i enjoy 
someone when it comes to an enemy that literally gives no fucks. Yeah. There is something about that because it's not at all how I live my life, right? I'm someone who's slow and steady, safe, not sorry, double checking things, triple checking things before I do something. Comparatively, it's really cool to vicariously live through the actions of, you know, these video game enemies, so to speak, and be like, you crazy, man. <laughs> and that to me really resonated uh, because of the fact that it was just so like, why is he doing it? He should have a reason, right? Nah, I felt like it today. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You crazy, man. That's the best part about Kafka. He just gave no shits whatsoever. He's like, oh, I'll, just, I'll He's kill everybody. Care. I'll just starts off just killing half the world just like that. Oh, okay. I see you, Kafka. <laughs> well, that's like what's so interesting about him. And I, I actually argue a lot that he's not the 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 real villain of that story. Ooh, okay, let's hear this. The world. Like, yes, he succeeds, right? I mean, he's really a victim at the end of the day anyway, if you look at his backstory, like his history and how he was kind of just this experiment and kind of, we imagine he suffered a ton to get the way that he is. And then he succeeds, right? Like midway through the game. Right midway through, uh, yeah. And just, you know, just casually just, you know, let me just end the world really quick. Then you're really not directly up against him you're kind of fighting the world and the environment that is the result of what he's done up until like the very end so the world is what made him the way that he is anyway so it's kind of an interesting flip right like this world was not super kind to him he obviously is unstable and then kind of flips the coin and, and now you're kind of going against the environment and i think it fits the narrative of that game really well because it's not even like that game has a main protagonist it's sort of an ensemble story Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i kind of love i always love looking at it like okay and now we're it's us versus the world is kind of how that happens and yes he's the catalyst to make it that way but like it's also that the world made him the way that he was and then he kind of flips the world on you but i i just yeah i'm not surprised that you would pick six and you would pick kefka because they're both fantastic <laughs> yes also uh, one of the big things that people uh complain about usually when it comes to final fantasy 6 is when you go from the you know the original world then kefka gets his power starts blowing everything up and now it's the world of ruin and most people complain that they've now lost all semblance of it being linear right to me though that was the best part of it what had happened is okay following the lines doing this following the lines oh wait crazy guy quote unquote has just decided to screw everything up and everything's blown to bits everyone's been thrown into different corners of the world are they even alive who knows we'll find out as you're going through it you kind of get to pick some of it you have to kind of do once you figure it out uh, in order, but you're able to kind of go to different places and do different things at different points in time. Some are much easier than others if you do them um, in a specific order, but just that ability and the fact that it's like, oh, you don't get to have a happy story right now. Like you've got to struggle through all this because eventually you're going to be dealing with a quote unquote God. So get prepared. It's not going to be easy to be able to accomplish your goal of saving the world. True. It never really spoke to me. Also, that's like, it's so funny to me that people do criticize. To me, that's what Final Fantasy does best is nonlinear. Yeah. Just go figure it out. I mean, look at Final Fantasy 1. It doesn't mm -hmm. really give yeah. you guidance. It just kind of throws you in and says, go walk around, figure, figure it out. And in the process, you're, you're getting more experience, you're getting more levels. You're, you, maybe if it's a game that's got, you know, you're grinding and getting more uh, points towards your spells, so you're unlocking spells. I mean, in and of its own way, it's having you get more prepared for what's really to come. Because some of those yeah. fights that you go and deal with, you go into it, you're like, okay, I'm prepared. What? I'm dead in like two turns? What happened? 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just say that game is some of the most iconic optional bosses. Yeah. Like a lot of the optional bosses in six actually became series icons down the line. And if you don't go and do all that fun random exploring, you're gonna miss that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the things that I thought was really cool. Cause I'm really big when it comes to like JRPGs. Not necessarily hundred percenting them, pretty close to that, where I really like to go out and try and take on a bunch of the optional side quest stuff. I think that's really fun. It's like, oh, you don't have to do this. And it's probably gonna be tougher than some of the other bosses at this point in time to go take them on let's go ahead and suffer a little bit let's do this thing and i really like the idea of going and hunting down these mythical dragons throughout it and you would get something for beating each one one of my favorite dragon experiences because it scared the living crap out of me is i've never had it in an airship where i could actually be under duress yeah and you could run into bahamut <laughs> which is a very interesting and creepy take on him when normally a lot of the times you're going to see him in like full dragon form not this like half undead kind of looking with a a a skull helmet look to him uh that just really was like whoa this game just constantly whenever i go back to it i'm always like in the feels for reals mm -hmm. well as we could keep on talking about those never-ending battles when it comes to final fantasies which was a bunch of fun right there i think it's also important that we talk about another topic that will speak to individuals out there that others might not know because it's an invisible illness and that is lupus d when it comes to lupus what is something that would be important for somebody to know besides me just reading off a definition which i could totally do uh, but before i do anything like that what what do you feel is really important to know about lupus for just just the normal people that don't under that wouldn't understand it or even know it existed let's say yeah i think the biggest thing to communicate about it right out the gate would be that you know it's known as a very mysterious disease i think that really describes it best um because you know, I have lupus. Obviously, I deal with this every day. And my some of my best friends have it. And none of us have it similarly. It looks very different on everyone. And that is the overarching theme of the disease in general. Because, you know, what lupus is, is it's to, it's a complicated illness, but to break it down really simply, it's it's essentially that the immune system of the person that has it, instead of protecting them and their body, our immune systems are attacking us all the time, going after healthy body tissues. It looks different for everyone, right? Because it can affect any body system. Similarly, it can affect anyone at any time. There are, you know, statistics that will point to it affecting certain age groups. Um, it predominantly affects women, uh, about 90% you know, that of people living with lupus are women, you know, it does predominantly affect certain ethnicities more than others. But other than that, it's a complete mystery. That really is the whole theme. And it goes so far, you know, just saying it's mysterious also applies to its diagnosis process. The average person that has lupus doesn't get diagnosed for six years, wow. uh, because it's so difficult to diagnose because it can look like so many different things. For me, personally, I took five years to get answers. Wow. Um, they yes. thought I had everything else they thought i had ms uh -huh. then i get a spinal tap which is like one of the most horrible oh, procedures to get. And they're like ever. no it's not that we don't know what it is oh you know and there's no test just for lupus so it, it creates a lot of other you know the real term the overall theme and i'm sure i'll go back to this the more i talk about it is mystery 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 doesn't look the same on anyone it affects everybody differently. You know, I have no family that have it. So for oh. me, you know, I was in, I was walking around in my 20s and then all of a sudden all these symptoms crept up and I didn't have anywhere in my family to turn to because nobody had any sort of illness. 
And that's kind of how this disease can be. Some some get diagnosed when they're children. Some don't find answers. I know someone that didn't get diagnosed with it till they were 63. So it's just a very mysterious disease. And I think if there's anything for someone who's unfamiliar, I would say it's it's don't sit there and believe, you know, there's a very popular quote from the television series House mm-hmm. where Dr. House will always say, it's not lupus. It's never lupus. It's never lupus. And a lot of us in the lupus community can't stand that because it oh. creates this consciousness that this disease is super rare and that's never what it is. When what the, the quote is trying to like what the quote should be saying is that this disease is very it could be like it, what the quote should be is it might be lupus. But who knows? Because it's such a you know, five million people have this thing. So it's not rare. And that's unfortunately created this like culture and almost a stigma around the fact that like people might think it's lupus, but it never is when actuality, it very likely is lupus. It's just a very, again, mysterious illness that's that's very troubling to diagnose. And then once you have the diagnosis, it's very troubling to treat. I was going to say, because just from the little research that I had done on it, because I'm definitely far from any professional and I, I don't personally uh, deal with lupus or have I had someone in my close circle deal with lupus, that it's, it claims that there's like 11 symptoms of lupus, which then therefore in and of itself can be very crisscrossy on being misdiagnosed for something else like you were talking about before. Is that still an accurate number or do you feel that's only what we know now? What's in- interesting about that that's the diagnosis criteria that like they still use and all this like there's a ton of information too if anyone's listening and they think you know when we start talking about symptoms like oh that sounds like me um if you go to lupus.org which is the lupus foundation of america they actually have all these symptoms listed in case there's any like we miss or don't talk about that criteria it's difficult like it's still what's used today but it's so it's it again like you're saying it can look like so many other things and overlap Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. like examples like I'll go through me. Like I had chronic fatigue. That was like the first thing I noticed. I was always tired. And I was like, that's odd for someone who goes to the gym regularly works. I was a nurse at the time. So I was working like on my feet. I was very active. I always was, I was very, you know, I ate a plant-based diet. I was very like responsible with my food. Like I, I, you know, I, I was, seems like a bill of health and I was always tired, always tired, like so tired that I would wake up, take a shower and be like, I need to take a nap. And I was like, that's not normal for right. a girl in her twenties. Like that's, yeah. that's absurd. Uh, and then I would get fevers randomly. I would have a, I would wake up, I'd have like a strange rash on my face, which I now know is the, is the Malar rash or as it's called a lot, the butterfly rash. It's a red yeah. rash that a lot of people that have lupus will get when they're flaring because it is a disease of flares. So I would have this rash and I have a fever and I'd be like, what the hell is, what is this? Like, what's wrong with me? Just general malaise, which is just feeling like bad about everything. Everything hurts. That's, that's something I would deal with. And then joint pain. I okay. would have such severe joint pain that I couldn't go up and down stairs very easily. And I'd be like, I'm in my, like, I'm, you know, you always think like I'm young, like nothing is going to, you know, you just don't understand why all of a sudden I'm like, why is it hurt to walk? Yeah. It's horrible joint pain, small joints um, were my big issue, but my knees. And then, so I'd have all these things going on randomly and then I'd wake up the next day and I would be fine. I would feel okay. And I'd be like, what is going on? Like, why do some days I wake up and I feel like this? I just didn't understand. And then I, um started to go to doctors and I would say, you know, it's weird. Like some days I can't think straight. It's very foggy. That's always the word I would use, which I've come to now know in the invisible illness community is called brain fog where okay. you could like try to get a word out and it just won't come out. Like I'm seeing it. I'm trying to speak and I can't, I'm falling over my words. I'm very forgetful, just difficult to do a simple task. And, you know, I was working in nursing, taking care of kids. So I was like, this is concerning to me that like, 
I'm like, wait, what medication do I have to grab? And I would have to stop myself and do the responsible thing and take 40 minutes to do something because I needed to make sure I was doing it safely. It was affecting my job. Right. Um, So I would go to the doctors and say, I have all these symptoms. I don't know what's going on. They were like, oh, well, let's do tests. So then they would test me for autoimmune markers in my blood because I was talking about joint pain, which is common among so many different autoimmune diseases. Right. And nothing would come back. Even when I had the rash on my face, nothing. And they're like, well, sometimes people don't show autoimmune markers, but we don't know what to do. So they would test me for this went on for years, testing me for tons of different things. It wasn't until I I was working uh, with a patient of mine and we actually got involved in a car accident. Uh, and just for everyone was fine, but just for procedure's sake, I had, we had to go in because it was you know me and my patient. We had to get like full workups at the hospital just to make sure everybody was really good. And the doctor said, "What's this? What's do you have autoimmune disease?" And I said, "No, I don't. I don't know what's wrong with me." And he said, "You have a, a very distinct butterfly rash on your face because I just happened to be flaring that day." He said, "Okay, what else do you have going on?" So I described all these symptoms to him. And he like that criteria list you were referencing. He said, this sounds a lot like lupus criteria. So he tested my urine, which I had protein in my urine, which is another one of like the lupus symptoms that some people have. And he was like, I'm going to send you to a rheumatologist to see what's going on, like that I trust. And he referred me to the rheumatologist that I still have today. And he was the one that really fought to get me a diagnosis, even though my autoimmune markers in my blood weren't showing up, you know, just because he was very familiar with the disease. Right. And he goes, no, this is absolutely lupus. And that's like the only way I was able to really get diagnosed was because someone who was really familiar with it and had worked with it a lot noticed the similarities. Wow. Um, yeah. And now down the line, as I've been fighting the disease, I have a kidney. We learned actually through that process that my kidney's failing because lupus <sighs> likes to attack kidneys. So my left kidney has been now it's like it's only functioning at about 12 percent. No. Um, because this disease, whenever I flare, likes to go after my kidneys. So now it's been, you know, in the years that I've had it, you know, and I tell this to anyone who asks me about what living with it is like, it's really management of symptoms and making sure that I flare as little as possible. So learning what triggers my flares, sometimes you just don't know when they just happen, but, and it sounds so simple, but like avoiding stress, getting enough sleep does help a little bit but like we're all human that's so difficult right Mm -hmm. and uh yeah the other thing for me was like diet so some people who have lupus diet doesn't affect them at all for me certain foods really will trigger that so because anything that improves my like ups my autoimmune system i'm sorry my immune system will then make my flares happen more frequently so like nightshades like eggplant tomatoes Uh a lot of things that i would eat all the time so i'm like oh it's healthy (laughs) we're not healthy for me Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really a disease. And that's the thing. But I have friends who can eat these things and have no difference. So it's really just constant management, maintenance being at my, I live at the doctor and really communicating constantly symptoms. I have a, I have a book that I write down anything that's different. But yeah, and I think it does go beyond, as you had mentioned, that criteria. Um, because I used to always be like, oh, I have brain fog. That's why I can't remember things. Or, oh, it's just lupus making me feel wonky but I started to really advocate for myself because I noticed neurologically I was off and things weren't really (sighs) going well with my brain that was when I had to really fight and I went to a bunch of different doctors because nobody was really hearing me and then finally I met someone that got me um you know we did some testing and they found out I'm having seizures regularly uh absent seizures like so I wouldn't know but I'm spacing out at times and apparently that's just me having 
seizures. Yeah. Mm. And uh, we're still to this day trying to figure out if it's lupus related or if it's like something else is going on. There's a lot of research going on right now because that's the thing, right? Like lupus is so misunderstood, which is kind of the main issue too, is it's a hard disease right now. And, and research for it, you know, there's been a lot in the recent years that has helped, but it's still not enough, right? Like the, right. it costs a lot of money to, to mm -hmm. figure this stuff out. And the lupus isn't a disease that has a ton of interest and a ton of people like <laughs> right, advocating right. and putting money out there to, to discover. So we're kind of in this process now of waiting and trying to increase the public awareness about it so that we could start researching those connections. Because who knows, maybe it does affect the brain and nerves more than we had thought in previous years. We just don't know. So with a lot that you've been saying, uh, one of the questions I want to ask, because I know uh, a friend of ours who had passed in the last year, he had Crohn's disease. And uh, with his Crohn's disease, another autoimmune disease that most people, when you look at them, you can't tell if they have it, right? Uh, unless you knew some other aspects of it to kind of pick up on some of those signs. And yet he was really big into weightlifting. So there'd be days, though, like you described, terrible, flaring up, whatever it may be can't get out of bed, uh, maybe stuck on the toilet, whatever these different aspects of it uh, might, might entail, might entail, that's what I should say, uh, that uh, then the next day be all fine. And so most people would then question and say, do you really have this? I got to assume that's got to be another aspect besides actually having it that makes this so hard to live with and try to educate people on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It changed my life in that respect because, you know, I was the friend that couldn't always show up to everything. So okay. I'd be invited to a party or a wedding and I couldn't go sometimes because I would be flaring and I can't get out of bed. But then in three days, you know, I would be at work and oh, well, it was now. like, oh, so you really aren't sick? Okay, yeah, I was worried about that. And uh, it affected a lot of my relationships because I, I was just kind of the person who was unreliable. I wasn't always showing up to events and social outings and stuff like that uh, because it just is un predictable and then i became weary of making plans because i didn't want to disappoint people Catch so, 22. yeah so i would be like oh maybe i'll go and then it was like oh well you're then i got this reputation of being flaky you know a lot of that is why now like i had to reevaluate my friendships uh and my relationships and and see who really is in my in my corner and, and who has the understanding and um kind of pivot and now like i've noticed that i look i think of like my closest friends now they all also have you know, not just lupus, but like different autoimmune diseases or, or things going on. And I, I go, wow, that's probably just because we all understand each other. And there's no, there's no stigma there. Yeah, um, the stigma, right, right. You know, and that's just kind of how it is. And I'm super grateful uh, that I am now surrounded by people that uh, do get it. But I definitely had like a purging of my social life over a, a long period of time because of that. Yeah, people just don't understand. And it was hard for me. You know, I worked mm -hmm. in nursing for years and I had nurses and doctors who didn't understand. I was just about that's to ask crazy. you the next level, right? If the professionals believed you or, or if some of them were so stuck in their ways, it's like, no, you're fine. Yeah. You know, I had coworkers that I thought would understand because they knew my work ethic. Uh, and then I even just going to a doctor myself and being like, look, I'm a nurse. I understand. You know, I have some, I'm not just someone walking in off the street. I, like I work in this field. So I understand a little bit more than maybe someone would and still just met with a lot of, you know, kind of, I felt like a disregard for my, what I was saying. Yeah. It's definitely hard. You have to be your own best advocate. And I, you know, just because I've, 
been a patient advocate for so long, I'm able to fight for myself in a lot of ways. But a lot, so I always worry about someone, you know, that doesn't have that experience coming into this. It would, it, it's very frightening, I would imagine. Absolutely. Cause like I know even non disease related, but when I blew up my back last year to where I couldn't walk for without using a cane for about six weeks period of time. And yet after that, I'm getting back in the gym, even though it was a really slow process, you know, I'm doing very basic things at that point in time. People didn't believe me that I had had an injury. And I'm thinking, but I, you know, I don't have to permanently live with this. Obviously I have my own little, trauma from the fact of how I got hurt but in my head I'm like I can't imagine you know what for example what you go through uh, what my friend went through and this is only this little caveat of a moment that kind of gets me an insight into it where it's just like it's just got to be so tough where you you start second guessing your own thought process at times and hopefully now maybe that's gotten better because you've been through it for long enough and you've met real connections that actually understand or are understanding and uh yeah it just seems like it, it would be tough at first and hopefully now it seems like it's at least from a mental way of um taking on each day it's better than it was for you yeah i have my good days and my bad days um and i've shifted careers and stuff and um that's both helped and hurt i think i i definitely have my days where i will sit back and i'll go is this really controlling my life like this right and 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 now i have this this one thing that's unique about living with an autoimmune disease is anything that happens i have to go is this lupus or is it something else is it lupus or you know is this allergies or is this is this lupus a lupus flare coming on or you know did i get especially with the pandemic right like uh -huh. i if i felt tired i'd be like oh gosh is this is this covid or am i just having a flare like it's right. constantly like having to yes. kind of adjust and live in in fear and then not being hard on, i think the worst part is managing the mental health piece like you'd mentioned because i you know i i left nursing and now i do content creation full time uh and this is a very competitive industry <laughs> Yeah. You are right. Yes, yes. <laughs> it requires so much, uh, so many hours of work. And I, 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 I constantly have to sit back and go, you're doing okay. You're doing the best you can because I feel limited a lot. And I go, wow, if I wasn't sick, I could be doing X, Y, and Z. And I could be working this and I could be doing this project. And I feel held back a lot by my own body, right? And my own limitations with my mind and all these things, you know, so it's a constant battle of like having to sit back and say you're doing okay. And sometimes that's difficult to do for yourself. And but someone else can say it to you and you're not going to believe it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know how many times just let's talk about from content creation standpoint, where it's like, you look at your own stuff, you're like, ah, I don't know if this is good enough. Then your friend asks you a question about theirs, you're like, oh, yeah, just do that. And then they go and do it and everything's great. But for some reason, when it came back to yourself, you're like, no, no, that's not okay for me, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's such an interesting, you know, back and forth that we do with our minds that sometimes it's helpful when somebody else says it. And it's like, oh, you know what, then I'll do that. It doesn't look a good idea. Mm -hmm. Wow. This was really awesome and educational. But at the same time, there is so much more that be, can be talked about this. And you being a content creator, we also want to give you your spot to go ahead and say, hey, how are they going to find 8BitD? How are they going to find uh, any maybe potential events that you might have coming up? Uh, the floor is yours. You go ahead and tell all the listeners out there from the Dreamers to the Flam family uh, what they can find in store in the coming weeks or months. Sure. And thank thank you for letting me come on here and do this before I, you know, forget. 
to say thank you after a long tangent. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, no, because it is important and it is, you'd be so surprised at how many, you know, I, I've based a lot of my life now as a con as a full-time content creator, like talking about this stuff. Like, yeah, I talk about Final Fantasy a lot, but I also talk about lupus a lot and not just lupus, but invisible disability in general. Um, I've kind of built a platform around that and you'd be surprised how many people, you know, don't want to discuss that or won't allow you know, they'll, they'll, they'll invite me to talk to about things, really the video games, but they don't want to talk about this kind of stuff that's equally important. So I appreciate invite to, to do that because it, it is so important, you know, in general, because the only way we're going to find answers for this stuff is if more people know about it and it's kind of out there in the public uh, consciousness. Exactly. Uh, so I appreciate it very much. Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's uh, exactly why we like to actually merge a lot of things. A lot of our topics when we're interacting with guests such as yourself is not just the fun aspects, but also the real life aspects. Because even though we love to get lost in our nostalgia and our escapism, the real world still exists. So it's finding that balance. And that's why we appreciate content creators such as yourself that have found a way to be, hey, Yes, I enjoy games, but also here's a real life thing that you, you might want to know about. You might need to uh, learn about or here's a safe space that we could talk about this. And we're really thankful for that. So wh where else can they find out about you, Abity? Yeah, so um, I do now stream on Twitch five days a week uh, when lupus allows me to. And if anyone has questions about lupus, we talk about it a lot in my space. I talk about what my treatments are like and how I manage the disease. So I am at twitch.tv slash uh, and you can catch me live. I'm generally live by like 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and I stream every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Try to maintain some level of consistency. But again, this disease, sometimes I'm, I'm popping around. But that's usually where I uh, can be found. And we actually have. Uh, we're going to be talking about lupus a lot for the next couple of months because I... Um, one of the organizers of a large charity event to raise money uh, for the Lupus Foundation of America. We get, last year we had 100 streamers. It looks like we have about that this year. We all come together May 6th, 7th, and 8th to Lupus Awareness to raise money for the LFA. And all of us use our platforms to talk about this disease, what living with it is like, and also advocate for more awareness and research. The Lupus Foundation does a lot to help fund research. They also do a lot of lobbying uh, with the United States government to increase funding for research. Uh, and they, they, they're they absolutely wonderful. They help uh, people with lupus like me. Uh, they've helped me so much over the years with finding advocacy lawyers to fight medical bills, right? Because that's another challenge of the disease is how expensive it can be to get treatment. They really do link up anyone that is suffering with a lot of resources to help make life a little easier. So last year, the team raised over $120,000 in three days. So we are hoping to do that this year. Uh, we just want to hit the same level again. So I will be fundraising all three days. Again, that's May 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, and we, uh, just any support, you know, no, I know a lot of people are like, I can't donate right now. It's times are tough. And just someone sitting in the streams or even coming to my stream and just hearing us talk about this um, and being there for that education piece is is more than enough support. We really just want to have people be there for the conversation and, uh, you know, it's not just me talking about living with this disease. Um, so many people uh, have come forward to share videos talking about their experiences with it and 
it's a really beautiful event and, and you know it's it's video games it's going to be super fun i'm going to be playing uh the legend of zelda ocarina of time so i'm super excited <laughs> yes, yes awesome that's a classic and i can't wait to revisit it i'm so happy um but yeah so that's kind of my focus for the next few weeks is uh this big charity event um last year my community raised seventeen thousand dollars uh in three days so i'm hoping to see what kind of uh, shenanigans we can get up to this year and how much we can raise. And all the info about donating and stuff will be right there live in the streams. Well, that is awesome. Thank you so much, Dee, for joining us for the fun conversation and then the necessary conversation of today's podcast topics. Thank you so much again for having me. Absolutely. And with that being said, Dreamers, thank you so much for tuning in. Family, love you as always. And bye bye <laughs>